You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Park Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, I don't know how, but we've made it. Like, this is the end of the year, and I don't know how because it, well, although in Cleveland it feels like it's winter, so I guess it feels real here, but it doesn't feel like this season was a full 162. This is unbelievable. It went by so fast. And now we can sit here and enjoy Albert Pujols and all of his glory as he's winding to the end of his career. And we can sit here and we can talk about the postseason because the brackets are full. Everyone's in. And I don't know. It just seems hard to believe that we're actually at this point. It's crazy. It's October. I mean, I was getting ready for our podcast writing down some prep notes and at the top I write episode 14 October 4th I can't believe it I can't believe we're here but I'm so excited for the playoffs so as you said we'll talk about that we'll talk about the awards Uh, I think the uh, the field is pretty set in terms of who are the main competitors for those awards and of course as you know uh, because you're involved in this, those votes are sealed before the postseason begins. But let's start with Albert Pujols. I mean, okay, there's so much to get to here. But let me just say, how awesome is it for him to end his career the way that he's doing it? Not only did he get 700, he got past 700. And to have that moment, I don't even know if I want to talk about this moment because I don't know if it's going to be something that we bring up at the end of the show. But to have that moment of him coming off the field, um, you had him with Wainwright, you had him with Yachty, you had this special moment of all of them walking off um, for him to homer in his last home game. And there was just so much, like, I love whenever baseball does this. It always seems to have a way to do this with its icons of ending everything appropriately. Um, We saw it back in, gosh, 2014 when Derek Jeter had the walk-off in his final home game. I mean, these moments are always just so special um, in baseball. And so I thought that was really neat. And just to see, I know you tweeted it, but it was like, what, since August 14th, who has had the most home runs? And everyone's going to say Aaron Judge because that's who obviously has stolen every home run Uh, headline but no since August 14th Albert Pujols has had the most and I mean could it be a cooler way to go out could we have more of a flashback to the mid-2000s era of Pujols being that guy and now as he's older and wrapping up his uh, multi-decade long career he's now sitting here like yep I'm still as good as uh, everyone once remembered me as and I can still do it so that was I thought that was awesome 
It was amazing. And you mentioned the stats. So since August 14th, Albert Pujols has 16 home runs, most in the majors, followed by Aaron Judge with 15, Mike Trout with 15. And I was going to tweet this and have you sort of waiting for a stat again, but it, I knew it would come up in the first segment, so I didn't bother. But I have a really fun stat about pools. So, since August 14th, entering today, Tuesday, he has played 43 games. So assuming he plays the final two games of the season, that will be 45 games from that date, which is so perfect, nice round number. So he will have at least 16 home runs in his final 45 career games. That will be the most of any player in baseball history. The prior most was 15 by Mark McGuire in 2001, and then Brian Howard in 2016 had 13 in his final 45 games. But the other thing, just looking at this search I did, is that for those guys, those 45 games were both spans that went from July until October. So those were spans where they weren't playing or they were injured or anything. For him, this is just 45 games played for the most part. You know, he's had a few off days. He's 42 years old. But overall, he has been playing. He's been crushing the ball. And here he is, 16 home runs, at least in his final 45 career games. It's just such an amazing way to go out. We talked about this last week, but just seeing him do this, you said, flashback to the 2000s, not seeing someone sort of limp to the finish line, but instead seeing him crush the ball. It's just amazing for baseball lore, for young fans who will now remember this of Albert Pujols. I mean, it just makes me so happy to see this happen. Absolutely. And I think that that's the perfect bow to tie together this incredible season um, or career, I should say. And I think it's just, it, it's impressive how maybe the Cardinals have figured out how to best use him to make sure that he can finish in this way. And I'm not trying to take away from his exceptional talent, but you look at the splits and he's been unbelievable against left-handers this year. Um, You look at, I mean, he's had more plate appearances against righties, but you look at the splits and he's hitting 220 with a 745 OPS against righties. You look at against lefties and it's a 351 average and uh, well over a thousand OPS. I mean, it's it's ridiculous what he's able to do right now. Um, I know it's there's a lot of teams. I watch it every single day with Cleveland who try to use those platoon advantages a lot. Um, imagine having Albert Pujols to be able to rely on for a platoon advantage like that. Those numbers are ridiculous for anyone. They're more ridiculous for a 42-year-old. They're even more ridiculous for someone who's finishing up his career after two-plus decades. I mean, this is as awesome as it gets to go out. So I'm glad that they had the season that they had. I'm glad we have more Albert Pujols to come. 
Um, this could be really a special ending to just an, an important career to baseball and to so many of us who have watched him for so long. Absolutely. And, you know, I want to update a stat that I brought last week. So last week I mentioned that his OPS Plus, which is based on the league and the parks you play in, that for him it was currently on pace to be his best since his final year in St. Louis in 2011. Well, it's gone up. It's 154 now, which would be his highest not since 2011, but since 2010 which was his final all-star season in St. Louis before he left. He finished second for MVP that year. He won the gold glove. He won the silver slugger. That was the last real Albert year in St. Louis, and he is now on pace to have his best OPS plus since then. I mean, that is a perfect way to go out. Absolutely, and I mean... I think we could talk about him all day, but you sort of, you mentioned that he was the runner up for MVP that year. I feel like that could be the easy way for us to transition into this year's types of races, because if we don't move on now, I feel like I could keep going on and on about how incredible uh, everything that Pujols is doing right now is. So um, I know this is like a bad word for Sarah. This is a no, no, we don't talk about the, uh, the races because we need to appreciate everyone's greatness, especially when it comes to uh, Judge and Otani. Um, but I'm going to make you go through this. We're going to have to just rip off the Band-Aid and we're going to have to do this. But I mean, some of these races, it seems like pretty clear who the top candidates are, if not the top candidate. Other ones are a little bit mixed in the middle. Um, so I think it could be it could be fun to figure out. Um, rookie of the year for especially the AL, it seems like you have a guy like Julio who's been stealing all the headlines, but I'm interested to see how Stephen Kwan from Cleveland sort of throws that off just because his numbers have been great. He's quieter. You don't hear much about him as much. You hear Julio because, one, he stole the, the spotlight at the All-Star game. That certainly helps. Just announced on Mariners' vision. You can see right there, announced to the crowd that Julio is an All-Star. Just seconds ago, he took his cap off, tipped it to the crowd. What a moment for young 21-year-old Julio Rodriguez. I still think Julio's going to be a slam dunk, but we'll see um, from there. And there's other guys who are, I swear, it's, it's going to be super close races. Are there anyone that you're specifically keeping your eye on? Well, in the American League, as you mentioned, certainly Stephen Kwan will get some consideration. Uh, Julio, I do think, will win it, but it is worth noting that Adley Rutschman, as of right now, has more war on fan graphs in fewer games played. And the 2-2. Swing and a miss. Tip into the glove of Rushman, and Judge strikes out for the third time this afternoon. So I think that one may be closer than we initially thought. And, you know, I don't think team success really plays in here. But I do think what the Orioles were able to do when Adley came up is certainly something to his credit. And the same goes for Julio. I mean, both of these guys really energized the team that had not even been close to the postseason in a bit now. And so I think 
I still expect Julio to win, but I think the Adley camp has a lot going for it, and he's been really good. And if we go over to the National League, we've talked about this before. I'm expecting Michael Harris and Spencer Strider to finish one and two in either order, which would make them the first team to have that happen since the Braves with uh, Craig Kimbrell and Freddie Freeman, and of course the first reigning champs to do that. I mean, when it comes to manager of the year, you sort of just touched on it with Adley of how incredible the season has been for the Orioles um, and how he's been a large part of that. How much do you think what they've been able to do and how shocking it was that they were able to do it, how much do you think that'll play into maybe Brandon Hyde getting some consideration for manager of the year with the Orioles? Yeah, I mean, I think the top two candidates have to be him and Scott Service. And you wonder how preseason expectations kind of play in. Uh, I think people expected the Mariners to be competitive. No one expected the Orioles to be competitive. So that tends to go in the favor in manager of the year. And by the way, Tito deserves plenty of consideration as well. Taking the youngest team in baseball to the postseason as a Hall of Famer himself. He'll be there soon. I, uh, I think those are probably the top candidates. But then you have a replacement manager, an interim in Toronto, who took his team to the playoffs and John Schneider. But it's a, it's a really interesting field, and they always find manager of the year to be the toughest to predict. That's what I was literally about to say, not just predicting, but I think it's the toughest to vote for. Because I've, I've had manager of the year in the past. Thankfully, I don't have it this year because I'm telling you, it gives me such a headache and it's so stressful because... Everything else, you can sit there and you can look at stats. You can sit there and you can form an opinion. You have endless, it seems like, amounts of information that you can scroll through to help either back your case or give you a reason why you were down the wrong path. And so there's always this concrete thing that you can turn to. When it comes to manager, you don't know how much of this success is because of the manager. You have no idea behind the scenes what that manager is doing. And so largely, at least from a writer's perspective, it seems like writers talk to each other way more when they have a manager vote than when they have any other vote because they want to say, hey, you've been around this team for all season. Can you give me an idea um, how much of this is because of the manager? How much of it is just because they have really talented players? Um, can you give me a little bit behind the scenes of what you've noticed from your like the manager that you covered this season? That one is just so difficult because, yeah, you have a record. You can see their record. But, you, okay, you have Aaron Judge doing what he was doing. Uh, okay, maybe it's Aaron Judge that le led the Yankees, and it's not Aaron Boone. And it's like you have all these different things that you'd need to figure out what can be accredited uh, to the manager in this situation. So um, this one's tough. I think this one's really, really tough because, like you said, it's those three teams, Seattle, Cleveland, and Baltimore, who had managers – seemingly it seems like from afar you don't know what's going on behind the scenes those three it seems like they've had the biggest impacts on their team of getting them to a point where not many people expected them to be 
and then you go to the National League, and Dave Roberts, his team has won 110 games, and yet I look at that, and he's not my first thought, because you almost expected them to be really good, and that's no disrespect to him or the team. It just gets back to those expectations that you were saying. I feel like in the National League, it's probably between uh, Brian Snicker and Rob Thompson, right? So Brian Snicker, his team is on the verge of clinching the NLEs for the second straight year. They're only the seventh team in the divisional era to win 100 games as a reigning champ. And of course, they made up a 10 and a half game deficit, which would be tied for the third largest made up to win a division or a league ever. And then with the Phillies, again, it's the same as with John Schneider, which I mentioned before, we have a replacement manager taking his team to the postseason. Yeah. I mean, I think that each each league is going to have really close races when it comes to that. Um, I know rookie and manager are both close. What about Cy Young for you? I mean, are there clear-cut candidates? I know I know Verlander was always a name that everyone kept talking about. I mean, it's just it's again, to me, it's I think these get so difficult whenever you start looking at the the stats for for so many things and you realize, "Oh goodness, these are these are a lot closer than I was hoping for." So there's no clear-cut answer. For me, I think it's Verlander and then, of course, Sandy Alcantara. I don't think there's any conversation there in the National League. There are certainly other good candidates in the American League. Dylan Cease comes to mind, Kevin Gossman. Just looking at the world leaderboard, of course, Shohei Otani did not pitch enough innings for anyone to really... Uh, put him number one, but he could finish top three or four, which is just amazing. And of course, we'll get to him again in a moment. But for me, I think it's Justin Verlander. And I think narrative helps him a bit too. I mean, he had an amazing year. But to do this at age 39 on the heels of Tommy John surgery, I mean, give him any award he wants. He's earned it. JV fired up. That's a Cy Young type hitting. Works around first and third. Nobody out. Keeps the game tied at two. And I was looking into this this morning. So he's going to be 39 years and 268 days old. Oh, wait. Today's Tuesday. Actually, he's going to be 267. I did my math wrong. So. He's going to be 39-267 tomorrow on the last day of the season. That will make him tied for, if he wins, tied for the third oldest to win Cy Young. So I was going to tell you how he would have beaten an early win by one day. He was 39-267 in 1959, but it turns out he will be tied Again, this is based on age at the end of the season. Roger Clemens in 04 was 42, and Gaylord Perry was 40 in 1978. 
It's so fun, again, to have another... Do I just say old guy? Like, is it okay to just say old guy? Um, another old guy in the, in the headlines here. It's like... I feel like we're just getting thrown back into the late 2000s with all the, the names who have been thrown out here. Um, and that's that's cool. I think that's something special about baseball because you don't always have that in other sports. I mean, football, you can't even really imagine, like, I guess other than Tom Brady, people sticking around forever like this. Um, and still being so elite. Uh, you look at it like, what, is this ERA like 1-8? Like, it's ridiculous. It's stupid. It's It shouldn't be happening at this point in his career. And yet here he is being as lethal as he's been. Um, I think that I think that without a doubt is, is going to be him. Uh, hard not to be. And be prepared to hate me in about a second here because I'm going to make you have to go down the path of Judge and Otani when it comes to the AL MVP, which up to this point has been a sore subject here, and we have not been able to talk about it. So, Sarah Langs, I'm going to make you do it. I'm going to say what I think will happen, which, by the way, puts it back on you since you have one of those votes. But I am expecting Aaron Judge to win. I think it's impossible it is impossible to compare these two seasons. Shohei Otani is the best athlete on the planet. He is the best baseball player on the planet. He is going to get MVP and Cy Young votes, I really think. I am expecting Aaron Judge to win. I wonder if Aaron Judge finishes at 61 home runs. If that costs him votes, I think that would be silly. He has had an amazing season, whether it's 61, 2, 3, 4, however many he could get to in these final three games. But I'm expecting Aaron Judge to win, and I'm fine with that. If Shohei Otani wins, I will also be thrilled for him. Both of these players have had an amazing season, and I mean... This matters for incentives and things for these guys. But ultimately, Otani just got a record uh, salary for an arbitration-eligible player, $30 million. Aaron Judge is going to get some sort of record salary in the offseason. They're both doing great. Now, do you want to skip this one since you're voting? Yeah, I probably should, but let me just say that, uh, hey, that was the most Sarah Lang's answer I've ever heard. So could you be more on brand in the way that you answered that? So yeah, I'll skip through that. Uh, I will say that, yes, I, I agree with everything you said, just because, I mean, these two players are so great, but not to sound like two Sarah Lang's, but uh, two, uh, but yes, they, they are both super, super great. And I was really hoping that I could finally get you to say your own opinion, but I couldn't do it. Um, but for NL MVP, is there anyone specific for you? Because I know we've talked about this a couple times, how Goldschmidt was a name that we were keeping an eye on maybe a month or two ago, but now it's suddenly so much closer. It is so much closer. Jeff McNeil, who's not going to win MVP, but as of right now, he is leading for that batting title, not Freddie Freeman. So... That has changed. If you look at war on fan graphs, Nolan Arenado, Manny Machado, and Paul Goldschmidt 
are tied with the same amount of war, 7.2 each. I think it will come down to them. I think it will depend slightly on when some of the writers sort of made their final decisions. I think if entering September, you said, okay, it's Goldie, then he will get those both. I think if people approach it, you know, kind of brand new on Wednesday afternoon and look at the stats that they really might go Machado. But um, I think Goldschmidt will win, but I'm not as certain as I was. I would love to see this for Machado. I mean, I'd love to see it for either of them. Goldie, of course, being in our old guys category, which we're now calling it, uh, even though he's still a kid on the Dimebacks to me. Uh, but I love the idea for Manny Machado, who has really found his groove in San Diego, really carried that team after a lot, a lot of issues this year. What happened with Tatis getting Soto and him not being at quite Soto levels, everything. Manny Machado has been that rock. High drive, deep left field, back goes Peyton looking up, it's gone! Manny Machado with his 32nd home run of the year puts the Padres on top 5-1. to one. I hope he gets really significant consideration. And I do wonder how many guys will get first place votes and how many guys will get first and second place votes. I feel like it could be a really deep list there. Yeah, and I think Machado has a really convincing case. I really do. And I, I think every part of me wants to triple down on the old guy category because um, I th just keep the theme going because this has been a really cool year of, of watching all of these veteran type players that's going to be my nice way of saying old uh still kicking it and being able to compete with this ridiculously talented young group of of stars who have started to come up now um and for the the old guys to just be like hey i still got this i think that is uh just I, it obviously means nothing in the grand scheme of things whenever people are going with their votes but i think that that's in my mind it's a cool way to look at this of how Pujols has been able to be, Verlander's been able to be, and now you have Goldschmidt still doing the same thing that they all are doing as well. Um, his numbers have been impressive. And like you said, it's not as much of a slam dunk now as what it was when we were talking about this, what probably six weeks ago, uh, when he was really, the, that headline on MLB.com was watching him, could Goldie be a triple crown winner this year? Um, it was like one of those home run pacer headlines that you, I know you update all the time for Aaron Judge. Um, but it's still like he still is leading his league in, in OPS. His OPS plus is 181. It's really impressive, impressive stuff. So um, he's been able to do a lot. You don't see batting averages up near 320 anymore at the end of the season. Again, I know that's a stat that we're, carries little, much less weight than what it used to. But still, it's like... Goodness gracious, the things that you've been able to do this year, it's been pretty impressive. He's had a complete season, so it wouldn't be surprising to me to see that. But now that we're all through all of our categories, uh, we can take a quick break and get into even more fun stuff of actually starting to preview the postseason because 
guess what? It starts this weekend. So I cannot believe we're already here, but uh, I'm excited to get into it. So we'll step aside real quick. And when we come back, we can get all the goods on the postseason. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. And Sarah, we'll just start with the American League just because, I mean... Well, one, we have to start somewhere. And two, somehow, at least the team that I cover as the Guardians reporter, how the heck did that become such a huge lead over the second place team? I was convinced that today on Tuesday, October 4th, when the season ends tomorrow, I was still not going to know what the future held because I thought this division race was going to come down to the wire. And somehow Cleveland locked this up so long ago it feels like and had a double digit game lead at this point it's unbelievable to me how that sort of ended absolutely and everything I mean as of right now entering the second to last day of the regular season we have all 12 of our postseason team we're still waiting on a little bit of seeding uh, as of right now who the Guardians are hosting is not definitive, but we do have all of these teams in the playoffs. And, you know, I'm just staring at the bracket. And if it ended today, which it does tomorrow, we would have the Guardians hosting the Rays. We'd have the Blue Jays hosting the Mariners. Winner of that one would face the Astros, and the winner of the Guardians-Rays series would face the Yankees. And just staring at these teams, what stands out to me, we'll get there in the National League as well, is just how much fun these teams are. I know that's not a stat. I know that that's what I'm supposed to bring. But we got the youngest team. We got the most electric team in the Mariners. And they're going to be facing the second most electric team in the Blue Jays, most likely, and we get Vlad Jr., we get Julio, we get all of these guys in the playoffs, and I just think it's a really good good showing on how this new format is working so far. Yeah, I agree, and I, I think, to me, the Mariners might be the sneakiest team to have to worry about at this point, because, yeah, they're only a wild card seed, uh, whatever seed that ends up being, uh, in 24 hours. Um, but it just seems like that's a dangerous team to be a low ranking seed. It's a dangerous team for anyone to have to play. I know Toronto, as you said, is the second most electric team behind them, but Toronto's inconsistencies this year. I don't know. To me, it just seems like 
I know Seattle didn't have the strongest finish over the last few weeks, but to me, it just seems like they could be a really dangerous team at this point in the year. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I think that I wouldn't be surprised to see them start making some moves. It's more difficult because they're probably going to end up on the side of the bracket of, uh, of the Astros. I think that if they would be facing the Yankees, I think that they could pass the Yankees. Um, the Astros are going to be a tough draw for anyone, but if anyone's going to match up well against them, I really think that Seattle has the best chance here. Um, so I, that's that's my sleeper pick. If I'm going to pick a sleeper pick at this point in the season, I really think that they're going to be someone to watch. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see with Cleveland. I mean, I know I watch them every day, so I have a different perspective of it all, but these guys just don't care about anything. And like, that usually sounds bad, but like that's actually worked for them. They think like, why not us? Because we don't, I mean, no one's been here before. They have Bieber. Tristan had an inning and two thirds in 2020 in the postseason, And that was with nobody in the crowd. So does that even count? Like that doesn't feel like a playoff atmosphere. So um, you have Jose Ramirez and you have Shane Bieber really as the only guys who are like the veterans of this. And everyone else is a newborn baby and they are trying to, figure all of this out as they go and it's worked for them usually it's hurdles and it's worked for them of okay we don't know any better so like why can't we just go win it now why can't we come back in the ninth if we're down by six runs who cares we still have three outs like that that attitude has carried them so far this year so i'd be interested to see if as long as this doesn't become too big for them as long as they don't get intimidated by it and they approach it the same way they have all season i think they could be a fun team to watch all throughout the postseason um but it'll be interesting i think for um it will come down to whether jose ramirez has that power that we know we've seen from him at times because overall the brand of baseball the guardians have played this year is not necessarily what wins in the playoffs these days it's been great You and I were looking to stats the other day, going first to third more than any on a single, more than any other team. Everything you might classify as small ball. And they're great at it. They have speed. They have, what, three guys in the top ten in bolts, uh, which are competitive runs at elite speed. They do all of those things really well. The thing they don't do super well is hit home runs. And in the postseason last year, teams went 25 and two when out homering their opponent. And I think what it comes down to is with these really good pitchers who you face in the postseason, if you're able to get that home run off of them or off these great bullpens, you're set. And that has been what has won in the postseason going back the past four years, especially. As it stands right now, I don't know that the Guardians are set up to do that. But with guys like Tristan McKenzie and Shane Bieber and Emmanuel Classe on the mound, if they can find a home run somewhere, they may not allow one, so then you are still out-homering your opponent. But I love what you said about the Mariners. I was going to ask if you had a sleeper pick, so that's perfect. Who do you think, at the end, gets through here on the AL side? Oh, boy. 
My gut, like, I want to say the Mariners. Like, I want to say that the Mariners are going to just run with this because for some reason it's telling me that. But, like, the safe side of me just wants to go with the Astros because it just seems they're such a difficult team to beat this year. Um, I don't I don't see it being the Yankees at this point. Um, they're pitching especially. I just don't know if they have the pitching. I know Severino just had a, what, seven no-hit innings yesterday, but... Um, it doesn't seem like they have the pitching to really make a strong run. It seems like there's a couple holes in there. To me, it's a, it's a, it's torn between the Mariners and the Astros of who is going to be able to do that. And wouldn't be surprising to see those two match up if the Mariners can get through the the Blue Jays. So we'll know early who I'll have to pick <laughs> at that point once it goes into the ALCS. But I'm stuck between those two. Do you have one? I think it'll be the Astros. I mean, I would love for it to be the Mariners, and it is amazing how we're expecting it to be one of those two. But the Astros are so good, and they're kind of on that list of teams we almost don't talk about enough because they're just so good that we come to expect it. I mean, it's amazing because they were also perfect game through like six and two thirds last night. But it's the end of the season. They're getting ready for the playoffs. But overall, I, I think it'll be the Astros again. And man, I want this for Dusty so much. I mean, this came up last year, but Dusty Baker being in baseball, being a manager since 1993, he was the youngest manager in baseball at the time. And now with Tony La Russa stepping down, he is officially the oldest again. I mean, he is just such a great story. And I would love to see him at least get another pennant, if not win at all. Now, let me ask you, I'm going to go straight to the hard-hitting question here. Um, for the NL side... I'm curious your take on this. Do you think the Braves are better this year than what they were last year? And if so, how? How is that possible? I don't even think there is a question. I think they're so much better. They have Ronald Acuna Jr. They don't have a piecemeal outfield. I mean, no disrespect to Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler, and Eddie Rosario. But... This year, they have Michael Harris II in center field. He's probably going to win Rookie of the Year or finish second. As we said, Acuna is healthy. Pitching is really strong. I mean, my question for you is, are they better set up right now than the Dodgers for a postseason run? I mean, oh my gosh. I didn't... I didn't expect this maybe <laughs> I don't know I think I was expecting the Dodgers to just be such an easy answer and then all of a sudden the Braves just kept happening and I'm like wait a second how good is this team right now um yeah I kind of think they are and is that weird to say just because one the Dodgers have been so quietly good because it seems weird we've talked about that like 12 weeks in a row it feels like so um, but they are. I mean, they, they're set. They're a great lineup, obviously. There's a reason they've won so many games. But this Braves team, I think, is ridiculously impressive and kind of think it would be fun to watch them go back-to-back -back here. I um, think that would be really, really fun. But it would just be 
it would be shocking because you're always so used to that hangover in a way of coming off of a season where you had that type of success and then you come back and everyone's like, okay, well, this is going to be the team to beat. And it never ends up being that way. I mean, it does sometimes we've seen it. Um, you think back to those Yankee dynasty teams in the nineties and stuff like that, but like, it's not as common where that's the team to beat again the next year. Um, you think of Kansas city a couple years ago, and then that hasn't really been them since. So, um, this team, I think, has it. I think it has it in them, and I think I would go with the Braves over the Dodgers at this point, which I can't imagine two months ago thinking I would say that so confidently. I think for that matchup, if they meet, it comes down to the bullpen. It comes down to the fact that Craig Kimbrell was removed from the closers role a couple weeks ago. Meanwhile, Kenley Jansen has really hit his stride in the last month, month and a half or so. And I thought he was close to finished. I mean, at the end of last year and the issues he's had at various points with the Dodgers, when he went over the Braves, I wasn't sure that that was the impact move that they thought it was. But I was wrong, and he has been great. He has had his, his issues, but I think he is in a good spot right now. And meanwhile, the Dodgers are a 110-win team without a closer. That is not how you want to be heading into the postseason. And I think for the Braves, the reason they don't have that hangover is because of the turnover on the team. So many of their key contributors didn't play in the World Series last year. Even a guy like uh, William Contreras did not play in the World Series last year. So they have guys who are just as hungry, know that their teammates want it, and want to do that as well. Yep, I think I'm obviously, as always, super excited to see how it plays out. I'm so glad we're in October. It's finally time for October baseball. I know it went by in a flash, but every season it's just so exciting to reach this point. It's the best time of the year. Um, so ready to get it started, ready to get uh, one final day of meaningless baseball over with because uh, uh, now that everyone's in, I know there's still some seating to work out, so it's not completely meaningless. I get it. But now that everyone's in and we're starting to get it all worked out, let's get to the real thing. I think I'm, it's going to be uh, a very fun fall, even though in Cleveland it already feels like winter, so let's stop that. Um, we'll take a quick second. When we come back, we'll both give our favorite moments from baseball from this past week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazon's 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardians beat reporter for MLB.com and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, do you want to start us off with your favorite moment? I would love to. For me, it has to be Cal Raleigh hitting a pinch hit, walk-off home run to clinch a playoff spot and a drought for the Seattle Mariners. He's going to go for the pump, you know that. Two pitch swing and a drive, deep to right field, stay fair. Holy smokes, he did it off the hidden air cafe. Cal Raleigh with a walk-off home run. How sweet it is. The Mariners end the 20-year drought on a walk-off home run by Cal Raleigh. They win the ball game 2-1, to one, and the Mariners are going to the playoffs. As that moment, you felt it building. This team has played what they call chaos ball all year. They have one walk-off, uh, they have one extra inning games, games via walk-off, all of that. And with the game tied, you just felt like something amazing was about to happen. He comes to the plate. It was amazing. That swing he took, everything so dramatic. He was the first player ever to clinch his team a playoff spot with a pinch hit walk-off home run. Think about that. That is like playing in the backyard with your parents saying, okay, here's the situation. I'm up, there's a drought on the line. We haven't played in the playoffs in all these years. I've got this, and then you hit that. I mean, that is childhood dreams, and he did it. I love that. I think that's, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Think about how he's going to remember that forever. Um, And like you said, you think about like that childhood dream. You think about how special it would be for his family. Um, I love it. I love all of that. Uh, I figured it was going to be a clinching moment for you. So that's not too surprising. Uh, Mine's a little different just because it was something that I was able to experience firsthand this past week. Uh, Josh Naylor and Bo Naylor. You have both of them up in the big leagues right now. Josh Naylor's been with Guardians now for a while, and um, when he was traded to the to Cleveland's organization, the Naylor family was so excited because his younger brother, Bo, was already in the system. So they already knew, okay, now we have two of our kids in one team's organization, which was awesome. Um, and then Bo Naylor got his call up this week over the weekend, and so both brothers were together Uh, on the same big league team. And not only that, Tito took a moment because he knows these games are meaningless, for lack of a better word. 
they're trying to just go through and make sure guys are getting proper rest, make sure that everyone's getting ready for the postseason. It's not as crucial to make sure you have the best lineup every day. So because of that, he made sure to put the Naylor brothers back to back in the lineup so that their family could feel that because he knew the parents were in the crowd. So for Tito to take a second to think of that, it's just really, really cool in general. We practiced together as, as brothers for so many years. And even though, you know, Noah being young, are still trying to drive him as a, as a young player. And then when he comes up to the big leagues or, and, you know, we're, we're sharing the field together, it's just so cool to look back. You know, we did all this work together to get here at the same, you know, we're here at the same time now, and now we have the same goal in life. And you had them back to back. It was the first time for Cleveland, uh, the club announced that it was the first time for Cleveland to have brothers back to back since 1930 so that was pretty cool for them to be able to have that moment and i went down to be with naylor's parents um right before they came up to bat i said i promise i'll get out of here so that you can have your moment watching your kids bat back to back for the first time um but i got to talk to them and i'm going to be writing that up in about the next week or so to just get all the behind the scenes of this naylor family dynamic but to see how special it was for them to watch both of their sons who they've seen since they were little kids on their different little league teams. The dad, their dad was always their coach on every team that they ever played on. And to see them go up there and hold back tears to see both of their boys like batting back to back was just, you realize there's just so many things about baseball that just are deeper than the game. And it was fun to watch. They were like, hold on, we just need to record this real quick whenever they announced the lineups on the big screen. And you heard it go from Josh Naylor to Bo Naylor. Um, And they just were beaming with pride. And it was just really, really cool. Um, They've obviously watched Josh in the big leagues for a while. And then for Bo to join it, the crowd, I mean, it's a really easy name to chance. So the crowd quickly picked up on the let's go Bo chance every time he comes up to bat. And as the time that we're recording this podcast, he still hasn't gotten his first big league hit. But everyone has been asking for Bo Naylor in the big leagues for a long time when it comes to Cleveland fans. So they're just so excited to see him up at the plate right now, whether he's gotten it or not. And so they said to hear the crowd chanting let's go Bo was like, on, they couldn't even comprehend it because... They've just been imagining this. They didn't think at this point in the season he was going to get the call up. So they started to think, okay, maybe next year. And then it happened this year. And he's probably going to be on their postseason roster. And so for these two guys to be able to share that and it now become a family experience, oh, it was so cool to watch that firsthand and see how the parents are reacting. So that was my favorite moment. That is amazing. And I mean, I just can't get over the family reaction, all of that. I can't wait to read your story. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, it's my own little plug there. That's just, just shameless, shameless. Don't even care. On that note, let me get out of here before I keep going with this. So uh, I think that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Uh, make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, which we always hope you are, or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you as always for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.